Well, if you would like to be uh, finding a seat again, that would be great. There was a lot of laughter going on down here, but I, I came out to check it out and Passionate told me I would be corrupted if I got any closer. <laughs> and I don't know what that means. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, we're going to be, um, we're going to have tea and coffee after the end of the meeting, so uh, lots of opportunity to catch up and chat over a drink. Uh, we would love to do that. So I'd like to welcome you to our meeting again this morning at 140 Clark Street, whether you are here in person or you may be joining us online. Um, my name is Mark Rushworth, and I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and it's a privilege to preach to you this morning. In fact, this is actually the last time I'm going to be preaching to you until... <laughs> if you didn't catch that on the video, there was a whoop of delight. <laughs> I'll get you. <laughs> this will be the last time I'm preaching here until mid-October. Um, as... Uh, going to be taking a sabbatical beginning just after our church weekend at Green Hill Lake Camp and during that time our family will be going to the UK spending time with uh, our family, friends, we'll be at our New Frontiers uh, Family of Churches Leadership Conference devoted. I'm going to a theology conference run by Andrew Wilson looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Um, our kids are going to a huge week-long um, youth event, uh, similar to the WonCon, I guess, um, but for a week and camping outside in the UK. Risky, um, but uh, that will be great. 7,000 young people at that. Uh, then we're going to take a vacation in Europe. Um, I'm actually going to the Middle East to visit uh, some, fam some of our church family out there. And uh, then we'll be back here for a month uh, to recharge and gear up to what God has for us going forward here in Fredericton and also uh, for us as well, I guess, in Halifax, Dartmouth, as we look to maybe church plant into Nova Scotia at some point in the future. So it's going to be a very different summer for us, and I know that we're going to really miss worshipping with you and being with you, but Dave and Rosie Fellingham are going to be here for a month in the summer. Dave's going to help lead worship and preach throughout the month of July, so I'm sure you're going to have a great time with them. Debbie and I FaceTime with them this week, and they're very excited to be here with you. All right, so I just thought I'd say all of that because it's maybe the last time for me to say that when I'm preaching. Um, so we've been going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians and we're now getting on to some of the practical applications of the message of grace, which he's been outlining in the earlier chapters, which Paul's been outlining. And we have to realize that these verses uh, where Paul's speaking about, uh, you know, telling the truth and not using bad language and uh, not being sexually Im immoral and, and being kind um, are the actual outworkings of God's grace to us that he spent so long explaining in the first few chapters. Paul hasn't begun with a message of grace and then just decided to ditch that and turn to law and just give us a whole set of rules for the final part. Terry Virgo posted this online this week, uh, he said this, all appeals for holy living in the New Testament are not mere calls for morality or rule keeping, they're reminders of the stunning thing that God has done for us, including us in Christ's death, 
resurrection, and exaltation. We are completely new people called to live a new life. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of this. We're accepted by God as we are. We come to God and God accepts us because of what Christ has done. He accepts us as we are. But then we're changed. We're new people, new creations in Christ. And it's the grace of God that we can be, by which we can be forgiven through the death, death and resurrection of Jesus. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our life and changes us, makes it possible for us to change. We don't have to stay as we are. God accepts us as we are, but we don't stay as we are. In fact, for Paul, it's unthinkable that we stay as we are. So that the theme of grace goes all the way through, even in these verses. And the other great theme of Paul's letter in the Ephesians, I guess, is the, is the church. And what Paul is saying here is very relevant to the church as well. For example, today we're going to look at um, the, the verse, uh, In your anger, do not sin. And the church is all about us getting on together, isn't it? Uh, being together, being in fellowship with each other, loving one another. If we're lashing out at each other in anger, then actually fellowship is completely destroyed. So these verses are all about God's grace and they're all about the church. So let's keep them in mind as we get into them. Um, let's see. I'll tell you what, I'm going to read. Uh, we're going to read some of the passage. I was going to do that earlier, actually, and I forgot. So let's read from Ephesians 4 and, and let's read from verses 20 through 27. So Paul is talking about our old way of life, and he says, um, that, however, isn't the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. All right. So, anger. Now, I wonder who here remembers the Incredible Hulk? Anyone remember The Incredible Hulk? Now, some of you are putting your hands up and you remember the movie The Incredible Hulk, which came out a few years ago. Or you might remember the movie The Hulk. But I remember The Incredible Hulk, the TV show. Who remembers The Incredible Hulk, the TV show? Oh, my word. <laughs> I used to watch this. There we are. There's a, there's a picture. Hopefully, it doesn't freak anyone out. Um, I remember the, that original TV series in the 70s, David Banner, not Bruce Banner, which was in the movies, but David Banner was exposed to an overdose of gamma rays. And so every time he got angry, he transformed into a green monster, the Hulk. And there was this reporter, um, Mr. McGee, and uh, he had the feeling that David Banner was somehow connected to the Hulk, and he was always on his case. And he was bugging him, leading to the famous line that they showed at the, in the opening credits every time. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> and of course, when David Banner got angry, he became the Hulk. 
and he became very destructive. He actually, if you watch the show, he didn't really become destructive to people. He actually didn't really hurt anyone. Uh, he, he mainly became, he saved people a lot of the time. He became destructive to vehicles quite a lot, <laughs> and especially to his shirts and his pants, um, which always got ripped whenever he got angry. And then, and then somehow, in the next scene, he's like wearing a, he must, he must have spent so much money on clothes. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The whole of the series, five seasons, <laughs> they spun it out, five seasons of The Incredible Hulk was him going from place to place trying to find a cure for this rage, trying to get rid of this raging monster that he had inside, but he never managed to do it. Now, of course, The Incredible Hulk is just a made-up character. Nobody really transforms into a green creature when we get angry. We'll maybe take him off. Bye-bye. But actually, what the TV show portrayed does resonate with many people. Because some people can seem very pleasant on the surface, fun to be around, great sense of humor, kind, but actually lurking underneath is an anger and a rage. And they can be transformed in a moment into something much more disturbing and scary and affecting the lives of people around them. So how can we get rid of that anger if we are in that position, if we experience that? How can we get rid of that anger in a way that David Banner never succeeded in doing? Well, we're going to look at that today. Paul begins, in your anger, do not sin. Now, that, that might strike us, first of all, because it, we might have thought, hang on, surely being angry is sin. It's a, it's a strange way of putting it. In your anger, do not sin. Maybe, is it that Paul's saying it's okay to be angry? In fact, actually, if we look at the literal translation of this verse, many of the translations still say it like this, the literal translation is, be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. So what, what's going on? Is Paul encouraging us to be angry? Let's take a look at it. Are there times when it's okay to be angry? And if there are, how do we make sure that we, in our anger, we do not sin? Well, first of all, let's look and see whether the Bible has anything to say about anger in a positive way. Interestingly, the Bible has 375 occasions where it speaks about God's anger. Now, that might be shocking to us. Does that mean that God has just got a really bad temper? Well, no, it doesn't mean that at all. God is a good God. Um, and our God isn't a God who we have to tiptoe around in case he's in a bad mood. But there are certain things that God is angry about, and we can read about them in Scripture. And if you just did a, a kind of Google search or whatever, you can find out, uh, or if you, if you knew your Bible well enough, you can find out, what it is that God is angry about, and we'll talk about some of that in a, in a moment. But as God's people, actually, it's right to be angry about the things that anger God. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, there's a story about a place called Jabesh Gilead, and an enemy attacked Jabesh Gilead. The enemy was called Nahash, and uh, he attacked Jabesh Gilead with all of his army, and eventually 
God's people said, okay, okay, it's too much. We want to surrender. We want to make a treaty with you. We want to make a treaty with you uh, before your army kill us all. And Nahash said, okay, I will make a treaty with you on this condition. I want to gouge out the eye of everyone here in your community, the right eye of everyone, and so bring a disgrace on all of Israel. That's what, that's what Nahash said. I'm going to gouge out your eyes and bring disgrace on all of Israel. He really, he didn't only want to defeat God's people, he wanted to kind of really humiliate them as well. And the people's response, as you read about it in, uh, in 1 Samuel 11, the people's response was actually very passive. I guess they'd been, they'd been under this oppression, this under this attack for a while, so they were just like, oh no, and they were just, they were just like really down about it, really depressed about it. They, it says they just wept, probably their last chance to do that if their eyes were going to be gouged out. Um, they just wept. Saul, who is, uh, hears about this. Saul hears about this. And it says, the Spirit of God came powerfully on him and he burned with anger. The Spirit of God came powerfully on him and he burned with anger. It's interesting. Those two things are connected in that sentence. Spirit of God coming on people and he burned with anger. He realized that there would be a huge shame brought on God's people. You know, you can imagine children would have asked, be asking their parents in years to come, why, why have you all only got one eye? And the story would have to be told, oh, well, you know, this enemy came and he did it to us. And they would think, well, is God not powerful enough to stop that? So Saul's anger here was prompted by the Holy Spirit. And his response to that and the response of anger actually brought all the people of God together so that they could actually defeat the enemy. Anger and the Holy Spirit coming on them. Jesus also displayed anger. I guess the most famous example would be in John's Gospel, chapter 2. We'll have a look at that. John chapter 2 and verse 13 through 17. Jesus going into the temple courts and it said, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and other people sitting at tables exchanging money. They were exploiting people basically. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the money, the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get out of here, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus goes into the temple and it's like, it's like a marketplace. It's not at all what it was supposed to be. Over time, things had got corrupted. Over time, things had got twisted and warped. And Jesus is horrified. And I guess the spirit of the Lord comes on him and he burns with righteous anger. He makes a whip and drives people out. It's not the gentle Jesus that we might have imagined him to be. In Mark chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he sees a man with a shriveled hand and Jesus was about to heal him. Um, but it's on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are waiting to see what he was going to do because you weren't supposed to uh, work on the Sabbath and in the Pharisees' eyes, you know, even healing someone is work. So they're like, oh, we're going to catch Jesus out here. He's going to heal someone on the Sabbath. 
And Jesus asks them, okay, what's lawful on the Sabbath then? To do good or to do evil? To save or to kill life? And it says they didn't say anything. All they're interested in is just wanting to trap Jesus. They want him to catch him out. They have no care or concern about this man at all. They don't care about his suffering. They don't care that Jesus could bring healing to him. They don't, they're certainly not going to rejoice in that. So Jesus asks them that question, and they don't even answer. They were completely indifferent. And it says Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and the man's hand was completely destroyed. So Jesus looked at them in anger. There's great suffering in the world, and God has tremendous compassion on people who are suffering. And it's terrible when God's people just look on indifferent, don't care. Oh, yeah, suffering in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a shame. James chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, Oh, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? God doesn't want us to be indifferent to the suffering of others. God doesn't want us to be indifferent, uncaring about justice. God's heart burns for these things. God is passionate about his glory. God is passionate about his righteousness. God is compassionate on the people who suffer unjustly. And we need to have righteous anger where there is injustice or oppression. Anger about what's being done to our kids in terms of some of what is being taught or what they're being exposed to. Anger about the violence and misogyny and abuse that gets directed towards women. So many things that we should be angry about. I was in court the other week with someone and uh, in my opinion, there was a lot of injustice which had taken place lot of injustice that had taken place in her life and was still going on and being recounted in court and things were being said that clearly weren't right and I, I was just there to support this person who I was with but do you know what at times I was really tempted to shout out in anger at things that were being said or at the accounts of things that had been done we should get angry at times we should get angry when the enemy steals things from us we should get angry when we see injustice and oppression in the world and in the lives of the people that we know and love. The Spirit of God is mighty and he gets hold of us. He, he comes on us partly so that we can stand up for justice, so that we can call out to him with passion to change situations, to bring about his righteousness. If we don't react in anger and indignation and passion about the sin and the evil in this world, often we're just being swept along with it. So there is an anger which God encourages. There is an anger that is righteous anger. But Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. So how does this anger become sin? How does anger become sin? Well, actually, anger often goes to sin in our lives. I would say more often than not. Our anger actually goes to sin because anger is often where we lose our temper where we lose our temper we go so long things build up inside us 
and then something happens to trigger us and it explodes. It explodes with anger. I think we all know what that is like, either from experience of it happening to us or experience of, of others who we see and it, and it affects us. Some people think that the best way to deal with anger is just to try and hold it all in. Just to hold it in as best you can. Try and suppress it. But that doesn't work. Because what will happen is the, the pressure, it's like a pressure cooker. It will build up and build up and build up and eventually it's going to come out in one way or another. Debbie and I were at the theatre, um, the, the, a playhouse in Toronto um, the other week. And there were some teenagers there, um, buyers, and they were watching this, this musical. We were watching Hamilton, the musical. They were watching the musical as well. But as some teenagers do, and some other people do as well, um, they were whispering throughout the, the show. So they were kind of just whispering to each other and just commenting to each other. And, you know, um, no one said anything as it was going on. They just carried on. It was about an hour, an hour and a half. Um, but clearly, it had been annoying one guy who was sitting just behind them. And uh, as soon as the intervals began, it had been quiet, and as soon as the interval began, he started yelling at these teenagers, like in front of everyone, just laying into them, just exploded. And it was like, oh my word, completely lost it. It's just like super awkward. So holding your anger in doesn't help. It's just going to come out later, often maybe more violently. Um, some of the terrible things that have happened in North America recently, uh, other parts of the world as well, but especially you see it maybe in the States, the, you know, some of the shootings that have happened, um, seemingly quiet, passive people a lot of the time who've just allowed their rage and anger at things that have happened to them, things that have gone on in society, it's just built up over days, weeks, months, years, and then it comes out in horrific ways. In the UK and in some bigger cities here, I guess, you get a lot of road rage. Again, being in Toronto last week, um, I, I experienced it a bit, a bit there, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. In the UK, it happens all the time. Like, just people stress at driving, and they're like on their horns, and they're winding their windows down, they're shouting obscenities at you. Happens all the time. Some people getting out of their vehicles, coming and aggressively confronting you. Whew. Very violent. There can be a lot of violence and anger in the home. People can be very placid, quiet with others, but then it all builds up. And when they're at home with their family, then it explodes. And that can lead to domestic violence sometimes, and that can come from men and it can come from women and it can come from children and the victims of it can be anyone in the house anger can come about for a number of different reasons and we can it can build up inside us it can come about because we're we're tired stressed maybe we've been provoked maybe we're bullied maybe we've just got young kids and it's stressful we've got a difficult job we might feel powerless we just want to lash out at someone or something Maybe our pride gets hurt and it, and it just explodes and it just comes out. And then after that outburst, often we feel great shame. Great shame. Some of you might be sitting here 
now feeling a sense of shame, thinking about some of the things that you know you've done, some of the things that you have uh, experienced though. If that's you, you need to know that Jesus can and will take away your sin and shame. His death on the cross, his resurrection, his great grace and mercy, he took, he took away our sin. He took away our shame. You can be set free from that so that it doesn't afflict you any longer, so that you can actually escape this destructive cycle. Now, as well, the people who've been victims of, of, of the anger and on the receiving end will also need to experience God's grace and healing and love. But in God, in Christ, we can find a way out of this. It doesn't have to continue. And we would love to have someone speak with you, pray with you. If you find yourself in that situation, if you're just like, I can't get out of this, it keeps happening. We would love to hear from you. If you are uh, experiencing it at the hands of someone else as well, we would love to hear from you. We don't need to accept it. We have to be ruthless in dealing with anger because, as Paul says, it gives the devil a foothold into our life. Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. It gives the devil a foothold in our lives. When someone gives into anger on a continual basis, they're actually making space for something demonic, which can seriously damage people, affect people's lives for years to come, the people who are surrounding them and the person themselves. James 1.20 says, human anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't bring about the righteousness that God desires. It actually brings about the opposite. It destroys people. It wounds people. Over time, it can become a demonic stronghold. You can see the rage lurking in some people, ready to come out at any minute. And people who are angry give the devil a foothold into their lives. And, and people who are on the receiving end, actually, the devil gets a foothold in their lives as well. Because it can prevent people from coming into the fullness of everything that Christ has got for them. Because it affects them so much. And the enemy is at work. You've not invited the enemy in to your life if you're at the receiving end of anger. It's, it's kind of happened to you. But the enemy can get in. It can affect you badly. Real harm gets done relationships are destroyed. You won't feel easy around people who react with anger towards you. You may well be able to forgive them, but you're unlikely to go back for more because you'll just fear being bitten again. I mean, Daniel went into the lion's den and he, he was protected by God, but I don't suppose he went back to pay them a visit. <laughs> of course, some people can stay away from those who are angry you know someone I'm going to stay away from them actually it's not that easy for some people because they might be in your household and you might face raging anger from a spouse or a family member and you might feel as trapped as Daniel did in that lion's pit living in fear of what might happen let me say again if that's you do reach out to someone you trust and maybe that will be one of the leaders here in the church Bringing it out into the light is the first step towards getting help. Living with someone who constantly expresses violent anger, which brings about fear in us, is actually an abusive situation. And you need help with that. 
And the people who are expressing that anger need help too. They need people to come alongside them. They need people to express God's love to them. They need to know that forgiveness. They need to know that mercy and acceptance. And they need someone else to come in and help work through that process of dealing with their anger. Because if you know people in the church who are given to outbursts of anger, you're just always going to keep your defenses up. You're not going to be vulnerable to them. It's, it's the way it's going to be. It's understandable. But you know what? The church is going to be harmed. The church is going to be harmed. The devil loves it because the church can be destroyed by anger. That's why it's so important that those of us who lead the church should not be given to anger. Titus 1 and verse 7 says, Since an overseer or an elder manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered. If a leader in the church has a bad temper and is prone to anger, the church will be destroyed. The church will just get flattened. Sadly, that was the case for us in the church that we were in um, when we were in the very early years of our marriage. It was led by a very dynamic, charismatic leader. We actually really liked him. Um, but those who knew him well and worked with him frequently saw fits of rage and anger. And it destroyed the church. Pushed away all of the other leaders around him, all the staff members. And it harmed many people who experienced it. And actually, we had to go through a process of healing as a church, which took many, many years. Many, many years. Because he was given to those fits of anger. So what can we do? What can we do if we're struggling with anger? Well, the good news is that in Christ, it is possible to bring it under control. The Bible tells us we're no longer following our sinful nature. The grace of God has come on our life. You can change. It is possible to change. If you lose your temper as a follower of Jesus, you need to know you don't have to. It doesn't have to be that way. You can do something about it because the grace of God, excuse me, the grace of God is at work in you. And you are a new creation. You just need to know that that is possible because it can seem impossible. It can seem as though, well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way I've always been. No, it's possible. I mean, the first step is to own it and, I, and, and accept it and identify it, admit it. Name it as it is, sin. This is sin. My fits of anger are sin. And then have to get rid of it. Put it off. How do we do that? How do we put it off? Well, James 1.19 says, Everyone should be slow to become angry. Everyone should be slow to become angry. In other words, we should be able to judge wha where we are on the process of becoming angry. We should be able to see. We should be able to know when something's getting to us. And then, and then take a step back and stop. And try and look at it from a different perspective. Because often we view things from a very selfish perspective, self-centered perspective. We don't understand what's going on in the other person. It's easy to do that. But when we realize that the picture's not like that, we get a fuller picture. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love is not easily angered. It's one of the features of love. It's not easily angered. We need to bring love into the situation. And we need to reach out for love. We need to reach out for the love of God. And then I would just say we need to realize what, 
what is okay? What is allowed in this situation? That might sound a weird thing to say, what's okay? Because we might end up justifying our actions. We might say, well, it's okay, I'm under stress. I, it's, it's not a bad thing to be able to just let it out occasionally, to let rip. Actually, we need to change our view on that and realize, no, that's not, that's not appropriate. Love isn't easily angered. I'm, a, I'm aware different people will have different views on the politics of this, so don't get hung up on that. But if I think it's okay to have a gun in my home, if it's okay for me to have a gun in my home, and it's okay if someone comes on my property, it's okay for me to shoot them, or if they do something to offend me, maybe, actually, it might be a battle for me not to do that if it's, if it's seen as okay. Well, I don't have that struggle here. I don't suddenly think, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm really struggling with not shooting someone. I don't really struggle with that. I don't struggle with the thought of going and picking up a baseball bat and using that against someone. Because it, it's not a temptation that I face. Because I just, it's not permissible. It's, out, it, you know, it's outside of that. Of course, you should never do that. If I think it's okay to lose my temper at someone, if I think it's permissible to shout at someone for whatever reason, I probably will. I might, I might justify it. I might say, well, it's just the way I am. Well, I was born like that. My family were like that. That's what I grew up in. You don't understand the stress I've been under. No, we have to say, no, 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 no. It's not acceptable. We have to realize that. It's not okay to lose our temper. It can happen to all of us. It can happen to all of us. But when it does, we have to be quick to realize that it's wrong and apologize and receive forgiveness. If I think it's okay, I'm likely to do it. We kind of have to put things outside of the boundary of what's possible and allowable. You know? I'm not going to pick up a bottle and, and, and go at someone with it. No. Okay, great. So what about what you say to people then? It's not acceptable to say wounding things to our partner or our kids that will take ages for them to get over. Some of us need to have the power of the Spirit come into our lives so that we can start controlling the most difficult part of our body to, to control, which is the tongue. It's so easy to say things in anger that we regret, that cause a lot of harm. Instead, we have to learn to speak encouragement. We have to determine we're not going to use our tongue to lay into people that God loves. We have to remember what Paul says earlier in this passage in Ephesians 4. Put off your old self. You have to put it off. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. We have to tell ourselves what is right, made new in the attitude of our minds, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to put off the old self and put on the new. It's Jesus. We clothe ourselves in Christ. We invite the Holy Spirit to come and strengthen us. There might be some family things that in the past, and there might be some traits going through our family. Our parents may have expressed anger all the time, but now we're in Christ. We're new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So we repent of a wrong way of thinking. We start thinking of ourselves in a new way, and we clothe ourselves in our new self in Christ. If that boundary, if those boundaries have already been pushed back, it might be harder to reestablish them. So you might need some help in doing that. You might need to chat with someone about it. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. 
it'll take some courage to go and talk to someone. Do you know what? I, I need help in this area. I need help. It'll take some courage. But do you know what? It's a step towards freedom. Let's deal with it. Let's put it right. Put it off. It says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. You've got to deal with it right away. Couples, don't let a day end when you're out of sorts with each other. But Paul's not just speaking to couples here, you know. We can nurture anger against all sorts of people. And Paul's saying, don't let it develop. Don't let it go beyond a day. If you're angry with someone, you've got to deal with them quickly. Deal with that anger quickly. You've got to go to them. You've got to sort it out. Because the longer it goes on, the more destructive and explosive it can be. It'll just build up, build up, build up. That's why, that's why Paul's saying, don't let it go more than a day. Don't let the sun go down on it. Anger's got to be killed. It's got to be dealt with. Never more than a day old, otherwise you're giving a foothold for the devil. We don't want to give the devil a foothold. We don't want to do that. We've been filled with the Spirit, so we don't need to indulge in that kind of thing. Galatians 5 says, 17, the um, flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So you're not to do whatever you want. Spirit and the flesh, they're in conflict. Paul's saying, if you want to lose your temper, that's the, what the spirit, that's what the flesh wants to do, and you're filled with the Spirit of God, you can't do that. You can't do what you want to do. You've got to put to death your flesh. Oh, no, I, I really want to lash out at them. No, 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 no. But the Spirit of God doesn't. The Spirit of God doesn't. They're in conflict. Who are you going to give into? You're going to give into the flesh, or you're going to give to the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. So, in conclusion, anger can be a sign that we're not being led by the Spirit. But it can also be a sign that we are being led by the Spirit. It all depends on what we're angry about and what we do with that anger. Some of us maybe need to be empowered to have some anger, to actually develop that righteous anger that God wants to rise up, to stand alongside others, to speak up on behalf of others, sometimes with great passion on behalf of those who don't have a voice themselves. But many of us, some of us, sorry, need to deal with the anger that they know has been in their lives for many years, like David Banner. We have a monster lurking beneath that pleasant surface of our lives, just waiting to explode out. And we've grown used to it. We've grown used to it. We just see it as part of who we are. But people around us tread very carefully because they're aware that a wrong word or a wrong action can just lead to that explosion. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It needs dealing with. God wants to deal with it. Don't tolerate it. Don't accommodate it any longer. It needs to be brought into the light. It needs to be seen for what it is. The Spirit of God needs to be allowed to work and transform and heal the person who's angry, and also the victims of that anger. Why don't we stand together this morning? Let's just pray about this. It's a, I'm aware this is a sobering word. But you know, it's a word of hope. Because Paul is not coming, and I'm not coming, saying, you've just got to try harder. 
just got to, this is just the rule, you've just, you've just got to make it work. No, he's saying we're new people, we're new creations with the Spirit of God in us. We can walk in the ways of the Spirit. So Father God, I want to pray for each of us here, because each of us battle with this at different times to different extents. Because we have lives which can be difficult, stressful, crazy busy. You know all the things that we face. Lord God, I want to pray your spirit would come day after day, time after time. Help us in this really practical way. Lord, help us to sow to the spirit and not sow to the flesh. Help us to take off our old self and put on the new. Lord, for those of us where it's become a, a, a stronghold even, Lord, I pray that this morning will be the start of you dealing with that in people's lives so that there's freedom. Because it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery. God, we don't want to be slaves to our anger, to our rage. We want to we wanna be set free. We don't want to search everywhere because we can find the answer in you. Lord, will you do it? Will you work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.